Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Morning. I was trying to decide in this moment, is it, can you say Happy Holy Week? Is that appropriate? I think, I think we can. I think we can. So Happy Holy Week. It is, a, uh, it, it is a great week in the life of those who are followers of Jesus. And uh, I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. One is, if, if you're kind of new to um, the river and uh, life here, uh, we do something the Thursday before Easter that we call Maundy Thursday service. And that, that word Maundy just has to do with remembering and I, I want to encourage you, if you've never participated in one of Ramondi Thursdays, it's different from any other service that we do in the year. We, we normally are pretty happy, upbeat people. Um, most of us. I know some of you say, well, I know some. No, don't say that. The, um, most of us are pretty upbeat, happy people uh, most of the year. Um, but this, this particular service, we, we change gears a little bit to do what Jesus told us to do, and that is to remember, to remember his suffering to remember his great sacrifice, to, to remember him in that way. And so, I, I, don't, I don't make lots of promises. The older I've gotten, the smarter I've gotten. But here's, here's a promise that I will make you. If you will come and participate in our Maundy Thursday service, Easter will be sweeter. Yeah, I, I, I didn't pay anybody to nod their head and say amen. I, I didn't do that. It's just, it's a response here if you've been through that rhythm. It, it will make celebrating the resurrection filled with a different, I mean, you, you'll be in a different gear. I just promise you. And uh, so I, I would encourage you to come Thursday, to Monday Thursday. And then plan between now and then who you're going to invite to come celebrate. Now you can invite them to Monday Thursday. Monday Thursday is not so much a service for unbelievers. If you would, this is really for those who follow Jesus. Um, but uh, if the Lord leads you, you invite whoever um, to come and, and be a part of that. Uh, but definitely, who are you inviting? Who are you bringing with you to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord? We're going we're gonna to communicate the gospel in a very, very clear way and give people opportunities to respond to that. So I, I hope you'll make plans to, to take advantage of that. I also um, want to encourage you about something else that's going on tonight, kind of launching Holy Week. And you're saying, now, how is that launching Holy Week? Tonight is our family meeting, our quarterly family meeting. And it is kind of, kind of business we you know we, we kind of give updates but our family meetings and for those of you that have Baptist history and think oh my gosh a business meeting I'd rather die um, they're, they're, they're not they're not exactly like that um, we actually spend most of our time praying and in fact this evening we're going to spend a little bit more time praying than we normally do and 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 here's what one thing we're going to do we're going to take a, a prayer field trip Okay, so I'd encourage you to come back out at 6.45 this evening to go with us as, as we, we pray. Um, we'll be here 
it'll be in the building. We're going to take a small little field trip as part of our, our family meeting tonight. So I hope you'll come out and participate in that. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 21. We are going to be looking at uh, Palm Sunday, which is today, which is the celebration of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that kind of launches Holy Week. Uh, and we're going to be, re as you're turning there, I just want to give you some kind of background of what's going on. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with thousands of other Jews. This is what's going on. This is kind of the, what's setting the stage for what we're about to read. So lots of people are showing up. Now Jesus knew that he was heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, but also to sacrifice himself for us, for, for, for the sins of, of the world. And so one of the things that you're going to see as we read through this, there are going to be a couple of groups of people that, that kind of rise up and you'll see one group at the first of the week and the other group really shining at the end of the week. Um, one group is, is calling for him to be crowned as king and the other group at the end of the week is calling for him to be killed as a criminal. And unfortunately, some of those may have actually been the same voices. Some who started with praise end it with condemnation. And I want us to think about that as we read. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 11. We're going to stop at verse 5 for a minute and talk. I'm going to talk a little bit and then we'll go back to it. But I want us to read starting in verse 5. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his entourage and disciples, and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of, the foal of a beast of burden." Did, did, did anybody in here, we had a couple in the first service. Did anybody in here grow up on a farm? Okay, got a couple of folks who grew up on a farm. I, I didn't grow up on a farm. Uh, my uncle Otis had a farm outside of Barnwell and I would go up there sometimes. He had cows and hogs and... Uh, it's raining! We had, he had cows and hogs and, and we would go up and actually slaughter them. I would go up and participate in that. And Anybody know what blood pudding is? It, 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 nobody? Okay, a couple, a, couple, a couple of them farm folks know what, what that is. You don't want none, just, just so you know. Um, people used to eat that stuff. Anyway, uh, but I didn't, I didn't grow up there, but I got to spend some time there. He had a couple of horses, and he had a donkey. Donkeys are not cool animals. Just not cool animals. You know, when, when the University of Virginia won the, the national championship recently, they did not ride through the streets of Charlottesville on a donkey. Okay, they didn't do that. How many of you in high school remember something called donkey basketball? Okay, it was, it was, you would play basketball on the back of a donkey. It was not an honorable sport. Okay, the whole purpose was to mock and make fun and, you know, th that kind of thing. It just, because donkeys aren't necessarily thought of as the most honorable of animals. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't think of that. But, so why was Jesus pick a donkey as his, his method of coming into Jerusalem knowing what's about to happen? 
Well, because Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. And in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet, with a word from God, would prophesy that on the day that Messiah would come to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, he would come riding a donkey. And one of the things that our Lord and Savior Jesus did, both in his birth, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection is, he filled, fulfilled, literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. For instance, uh, not around Easter, but around Christmas, we, we talk often about Micah chapter 5, verse 2. In Micah 5, the, the prophet Micah, inspired by God hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, proclaimed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And we, we know that. We, we talk about that at Christmas uh, all the time. And that's how they knew, you know, the king knew where to, to send the, the wise men to, to, to go to Bethlehem. And over and over again, Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. But here's one of the cool things that I love about my Lord. He always does it and then some. When Jesus, Jesus, you know, we come, we come to Jesus, we come with expectations, we come, you know, with, with, with hopes, we come with all kinds of things. Jesus always transcends those. He always goes outside of the box. And so that's why, you know, one of the reasons you read about Jesus on a donkey is kind of like, you're coming in for your coronation and what, what, why a donkey? Because historically, anybody who was coming into town, you know, to be anointed as a king, parading through the streets would come on a great big white war horse. I mean, it would be awesome and massive and muscular. It'd just be an incredible beast. Kind of like if you go to the end of the story in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus coming back the second time as the scriptures prophesize. He's not going to come on a donkey. He's going to come on this incredible war horse. And you can read about it in Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 and 16. Jesus will come. And the Bible says there that it, he will, you will know that he is the king of kings and lords of lords. There, there will be no question about it. He's going to come on this great white horse. But here in Matthew 21 on, on Palm Sunday... As he does here, as he continues to do over and over again, Jesus defies human expectation. He, he just blows it out of the water. Now, for instance, we know that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But we didn't know that he was going to be born and laid in a manger. In a, in a barn. You know, in, in this rundown cave probably. He, he defies human expectation. You know, we knew there was prophecy about him, but he always seems to add this little unexpected twist in everything that Jesus does. He transcends everything we, we anticipate. You know, Isaiah 9 talked about him being wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, that the, he, on his shoulders would rest all of the government of the world. But nobody thought he'd be born the son of a poor carpenter. They knew Bethlehem and they knew, you know, Bethlehem wasn't a great big metropolis, but maybe it, it would at least be the most wealthy family in Bethlehem, but it wasn't. Because Jesus does this, and here's the big idea for the day, and I hope you walk out of here captured by this reality. And we learned it in this triumphal entry. Jesus defies all human expectation. Defies it. Now there's kind of two ways to defy things. You can defy it by making it bigger than it really was. You know, it's like, oh wow, it, it defies it. You blow your mind kind of thing. The other way to defy something is to stand against it. 
And there are times when what Jesus does is he defies our thinking about something by making it bigger and better than we ever imagined. And then there are other times that he stands against our expectation. He, 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 he stands against it. Now, he always does things though in ways that are unexpected. Even, even those things that are spelled out explicitly as prophecy, Jesus just kind of blows your mind. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a blind, anybody ever been on a blind date? Okay, I, I, I only went on two in my whole life. Um, and they're kind of weird, you know. Maybe you had a phone conversation beforehand and you're going to, you're going to, you know, meet this person and maybe you tell them what color shirt, you know, you have on or something like that. This was before social media, folks. You, you couldn't creep on people before you went on a blind date, okay. You just, you just had to show up and hope for the best. And, um, you know, somebody would walk in and you'd think, oh God, I hope that's them. And somebody else, well, oh God, I hope that's not them. You know, that, 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 that's, that's kind of the blind date gig, you know, back in, back in the day. And um, I, I, don't, I don't do blind dates anymore, just so you know, honey, I, I don't do that. Um, but I do have kind of blind meeting things happen today. Um, I, I'll get contacted by somebody who's a, maybe a church leader, pastor uh, at another church that I don't know. And we'll set up to do coffee at Starbucks. And... Um, when I forget to creep on them, you know, I'll, I'll show up and, you know, we'll meet and finally we'll figure out who each other are. And somewhere, somewhere in the course of the conversation, this will happen. They'll tell me an expectation that they had. And see, here's a problem we have with expectations. They're almost always self-serving. But here, usually if somebody actually shares the truth about their expectation, they'll say something like this. Joe, I, I expected you to be a little taller. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the first crowd almost said it in chorus. Um, and, you know, what is that about? You know, what, 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 is, what is that expectation that somebody would be taller or shorter or whatever? You know, it's usually some kind of self-serving expectation as if somebody, you know, taller can give, you, you know, different counsel or something. like. I don't know what it's about. But usually our expectations of relationships have come with all kinds of kind of personal baggage, things that would, would serve us. You know, we have, we have these expectations. Um, some of you did not have the privilege before getting married of, of having maybe premarital counseling. Uh, or you never had anybody give you wise counsel uh, about married life before you got into it. And then you have your first major train wreck. And usually it's kind of early in the marriage if you didn't have anybody build into your life what, what a good marriage is built on because oftentimes we come into marriage with expectations. And you know, if you don't have wise counsel about it, you may go into a marriage thinking this other person's actually gonna be able to meet all of your needs. <laughs> it's impossible. Nobody can do that. But you come with your expectations, you have set yourself up for a train wreck. And we do that in almost every relationship we have. We have these expectations. And they're always about, I mean mine. They're always about us, or expectations. Jesus' disciples, they were in a relationship with Jesus for three years. They lived with this man for around three years. They knew him intimately. And they had the same problem. They had, they had expectations of what Jesus was going to be like. They weren't reading like some Old Testament prophecy and having to figure out the detail. This was live. 
They prayed with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They walked with him everywhere he went. They, they, they watched him heal. They, they saw things that you and I would long to see. We, 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 we hope to see. If you wanted to just kind of flip your Bible back one page, if you still get your Bibles open, you could look back in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is telling his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus is telling them, here's what's going to happen when we get there. Okay, here, here's, here's what's going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man, he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death. And then he's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him, they're going to flock him, and they're going to crucify him, and that means kill him. They're going to kill him dead, is what they're saying. On the third day, he'll be raised. Now, if you look at the next passage of Scripture, right after that description, in verses 20 and 21... James and John's mama, and we think they probably sent, them, sent her, James and John's mama go to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, when you get into Jerusalem, could my boy sit on your left hand and your right hand? And, and you could just, uh, I'd have asked the woman, what are you thinking, woman? You know, didn't you, ju they, they just heard me talk about what's about to happen. You want, you want them near me? See, their, their expectation was when he came to town this time, there was going to be this incredible coronation. That everything was going, it was going to be incredible. You know, they, they were just going to overthrow anything that, that got in their way. That, that's their expectation. They're going to anoint him king. They remembered, you know, James and John probably remembered when Peter said, you're the Christ, which means king. The promised Messiah. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded by saying, Peter, you're right. And that just wasn't something you thought up. God told you that. God revealed that to you. So Jesus was saying, I, I am the king. That's what he was saying to them in that moment. And so their expectations of what a king would do for them ran into a collision. When he starts talking about this other stuff, they don't even hear it. They, they block it out. They're thinking, you know, these Roman occupiers, I'm no longer going to have to carry their, their baggage one mile when they tell me I have to. I'm, I'm not going to have to pay taxes, you know. Jesus can handle this. I've, I've watched him take a couple of sardines and two loaves of John Durst's bread and feed 5,000 people. He can handle this. He can take, take care of the Romans. I've seen him calm a storm. He can, he can handle this. So they have these expectations and all their hopes begin to, to build on these so that when he tells them the truth about what's about to happen, they don't hear him. They don't hear his, his truth because their expectations have become so self-serving. For many people who I watch come to Christ, sometimes they come to him more as Santa Savior than King Savior. They, they, they come to Jesus thinking that he's going to fulfill the expectations that they've kind of got in their mind. So they'll do things like they'll appease him. You know, they'll, they'll try to serve him, hoping that he'll bring some gifts with him. And, and so many people do that in our day because of their expectations. I, I, I've been serving on church staffs for almost 38 years. Being 27, I know that seems impossible, but it's, it's uh, I, I've, been, I've been serving on staffs in, in, in local churches for, for that long. And one of the things that I have heard on several occasions is, well, I'll give Jesus a try. 
I'll, I'll, I'll give Jesus a try. See, what they're saying is, when somebody says that, they're saying, if he doesn't meet my expectation, I'll go somewhere else. There, there's other religions, other, other gods, other places of worship. You know, if he doesn't meet my expectation, I'm going to give him a shot. But if Jesus doesn't meet my expectations, I'm out of here. And normally their expectations are all over the map. And they're all about themselves, you know. I just, I want a little comfort, Jesus. Jesus, I'd, I'd like to, a nice house in a nice neighborhood, you know. You know, I'd like 2.5 kids, whatever that looks like. I'd, you know, a dog. Some people who've lost their minds want cats. I don't know what that's about. You know, they, they just want this comfortable imaged lifestyle. Some people come and say, I'd like a, a better job, a better career. But when those things don't come through, it impacts your vision of him as king. It impacts how you would worship him. Because in your mind, what happens, you start going, hey God, I'm going to church. You know, I, I, I do a little ministry. I, I give a little bit here. Maybe I'm even started tithing because I heard you're supposed to do that. I'm, I'm this good person. But, you know, I, 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 I still notice I don't have that job yet. I don't have this yet. So God, I'm, I'm coming to you realizing, you know, there's probably some like, Maybe there's red tape in heaven. And so God, when are you going to come through? I'm, I'm down here serving you. And I've made my request known to you. So wh why, why don't you provide it? Can, 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 you, can you hook me up, God? Here's what I want to ask you today. Where are you in that spectrum? Where, where are you kind of in, in that? You know, what expectations... Do you have of Jesus that maybe have not been met yet? And it's impacting how you see him as king. It's undermining your, your worship of him. And some of you are saying, but Joe, is it, is it a, a bad expectation to want a better job to provide better for my family? Or is it a, 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 an unrealistic expectation to want my family to be healthy and to, to, to see good things happen? No. Until you impose those expectations on Jesus and those expectations change your worship of him. Change what it means in your mind that he's king because when that starts, you're believing a false gospel. You're believing something that is not in the scriptures. You're believing a lie. You, you, you know, say God, you know, I, I need you to provide for me. I need health for my family, some wealth, those kinds of things. I want comfort. And you think that that's promised to you in this life. You, you have begun to believe in a false gospel. You're putting your hopes in the wrong place. The moment you start saying, God, I expect, you're in trouble. You, you, you're just in trouble. And it, it leads to problems. And the truth is, this creeps up in all of our hearts. It's true for me. It's true for you. All of us have this kind of creep up in our... John the Baptist... Scripture says of John the Baptist, there's none greater. And John was doing pretty good till he got thrown in jail. John was pointing out, here's the Lamb of God, baby. That's the, that's the Messiah. That's the King. He was, he was telling, he had this great line in John chapter 3, verse 30. John said, he must increase, I must decrease. Man, it sounds so wonderful. And he gets arrested. 
He gets thrown in jail. He's sitting in, in a jail cell and his expectations of Jesus start to change. He starts having these expectations. Jesus, you know, like, I thought I was your boy. You know, I, I've been telling all these people about you, man. Got crowds leaving me, following you. It's good for you, you know. So he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, now, are you really the one I've been telling people you are? Are you really the promised king? Because if you are, you need to hook me up, man. You know, I'm over here in the cell. They're talking about beheading. Can we do something? And Jesus sends back a message basically, basically quoting from Isaiah 61. And he says, the blind are being healed. The kingdom is coming. And it's interesting, John probably would have known that, probably preached on it. John probably would have known that passage. But the one part of that passage that Jesus holds back on, because the passage talks about the captives being set free. Jesus doesn't go all the way into that. And it makes you wonder, what did John think there? What, what did John think about the captives being free and I'm in jail. I'm stuck here. What, what does this do for me? What's going on, Jesus? What, what, what's happening here? Why isn't that being fulfilled in me? And Jesus sends back, you know, and we know that it ends for John. It doesn't end the way John had hoped for. And so, I, I want us to begin thinking about today by answering some soul-searching questions. Because that's what reading through this event, Palm Sunday, did for me. It, it, just, it brought some soul-searching questions into my life. And since I got messed with, you get messed with. Um, soul-searching question number one is this. What are your expectations of Jesus? What are your expectations of Jesus? And they may have been expectations that you had coming in and they've changed. But what are your current expectations of Jesus? What are you expecting Jesus to do from you? Because so many of the expectations that we have flow out of this, this false gospel narrative. You know, some of us have been going through a study called the Explicit Gospel. And one of the things that came out of that study in, in our small group, and I've heard uh, other small groups talking about this, is that the only thing that we should ever expect from God is death and hell. That's the only thing that any human being should ever expect from God. Because that's what we deserve. Death and That should be our only expectation. Because Jesus coming to die for our sin was grace. We didn't deserve it. It was grace. And so what God gives us is grace. What he withholds from us, you know, keeps us from having to experience that's his mercy. And he's, he's filled with grace and mercy. And so we've got to come to understand what, what our expectations should be when we think about Jesus as king. So that we can come to him humbly. We can come to him grateful for any blessing that he may have given to us. So that when we face suffering, we can face that suffering saying, Jesus, if I have to go through this in honor for you to be glorified, so be it. Jesus, if it means I don't make this level of income that I had imagined or hoped for, so that you get glory and I stay here, so be it. Jesus, if my family has to go through this tough time, 
so that you can be glorified, so be it. Your will, not mine, be done. That's the true gospel. That's the true gospel narrative. And we've, we've got to understand that or we will, we will land living out of a lie that will destroy our hearts. We won't understand mercy. We won't get it as grace. And it'll wreck our relationship with Jesus. You know, he gives us what we don't deserve and keeps back what we do deserve. Let's continue reading in Matthew. Verse 6, the disciples went and did Jesus had directed. Remember, he, they were going to go get this, this donkey. They brought the donkey in the colt and put, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now before, you know, you start thinking, oh my gosh, they're running up in people's yards and pulling up the plants. Okay, um, you know, they're just having their way with the shrubbery or something like that. This is, this was, this was the way things were done in that culture when a king was coming. And it was normally the context of a, a, a victorious king coming into town. It wasn't just some random party. That, that this was kind of the way they did things, the way that they paid, paid homage. They would literally take the coats and the, off their backs and they would lay them down for the king's horse to walk on. And, and the army to come on. And they would, they would break palm branches and put down at the feet uh, uh, of the king as they came in. Celebrating as a sign that we know that you are the king. We know that's who you are. Verse 9, keep reading. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And again, Hosanna... Is, is this language, it, it, it's really from the Old Testament, Psalms 118, and it literally means save us now. S save us, save us now. You're the Messiah. You're the promised king. You're the Christ. They recognized him for who he was and they were crying out, Hosanna, save us now. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Pay attention to that. The whole city stirred up. There's some people saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, when I, I first read that, as I was getting ready, I knew I was going to kind of teach out of, out of Matthew. When I first read that, I thought, they blew it. Here was a great opportunity for them to say, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the promised king. But they went and said he's a prophet. Well, it was before I had really dug in and studied and came to understand something. And it was this, that in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, there had been this prophecy made about this coming prophet who would be the promised one, who would be the coming king. There would be another prophet coming, another great prophet who would usher in the kingdom of God. So when they said that, they were saying, this is the one, this is the king, this is the prophet, this is the promised one. Now, what I hope you see that has developed in our kind of story narrative is there, there are kind of two groups kind of rising up here. Two different groups. You, uh, you may remember back in verse 8, if you want to look back at it, you can. It said, most of the crowd spread their cloaks. So what does that mean the other was doing? They were watching. They, they weren't engaged. They weren't participating. Verse 9 says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, and then verse 10 says, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And then the crowds told him who it was. Again, two groups here. And here's, here are the two groups. One group, the, gr the group that is, is cheering for Jesus are Galileans. 
Now remember, this is Pat, Jesus was coming to the Passover. He was coming to do more, but he was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Guess who else was coming? Galilee. The north was emptying and coming to the south. Kind of like around here these days. You know, it feels like the, the north is just emptying and coming down south. But that's what was going on. They were coming down south to celebrate the Passover. So all of the people of Galilee, there were thousands of people filling the city of Jerusalem at this time. And they were coming and they were, they were making their way at the same time that Jesus was coming. They were probably, many of them, traveling together. And so when he starts to crest over uh, the, the, the Mount of Olives and coming into the city on this donkey, they remember scripture. They remember Zechariah 9.9. 9. And they, they start celebrating. They get excited. The, the, the king is coming. But there's another group of people that were clueless. And it's the people of Jerusalem, the people who live there. One of the things interesting about the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they spend very time talking about ministry of Jesus in Jerusalem. John does a little more, but they just didn't spend much time there because, and that's why the people of Jerusalem didn't know Jesus like the people in Galilee did. They hadn't seen the number of miracles. They hadn't seen just the incredible. They hadn't been with him as he taught. The, the, just overwhelming things in Jesus. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people of Galilee are all excited because they think he's coming. We knew this was who he was. And the people of Jerusalem trying to figure out who this is. People of Galilee, they got their worship on, man. People of Jerusalem saying, man, we're stirred up. Who is this? What's going on? What's, what's, what's up, with, what, up with this guy? They're, they're, they're kind of clueless. And so it's interesting to me because there are basically two types of people in Jerusalem that day. And quite frankly, in my opinion, there are, there are two types of people in every crowd. There are two types of people in the world. Now, I know we like, you know, w w humans have a divisive heart. We like, to, we like to try to cluster people in neat little groups. We, we like to do that around race and ethnicity and religion and gender. We, we, we want to we put people in boxes, you know, socioeconomics. We, we have all these little categories. But there are really only two Two differences in people. There are those who recognize that Christ is king. And there are those who don't. And that's just true in any crowd. There are, there are those who have recognized that Jesus is king. And then there are those who don't. There are people who recognize because he fulfilled the prophecies. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. Thousands of years old even. So here's, here's the question I have for everybody in the room today. And it's this second soul searching question. Have you acknowledged, have you personally acknowledged, not, not something you were raised in, have you acknowledged that Jesus is king? Do you recognize that Christ is king? And do you, do you recognize what that means? The psalmist in Psalm 24, 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of its people belong to him. That's a king. That's, that's a king of kings. We're, it says we're all under his kingship. That he's king of kings and lord of lords. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which political party you give you know, your affiliation to. It doesn't matter what country you live in. He's the king of kings and lord. He's lord of all. Is what the, the scriptures declare. Paul, the apostle, wrote you know most of the New Testament Paul was writing to Timothy his young protege 
And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's trying to help Timothy get his mind around this. And he says, Timothy, this is in verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. I don't know how much reading you've ever done about, about real kings and who have inhabited the world, but they had the power of life and death. They could just look at you and say, you're gone, man. And you're gone, you know, off with their heads. I mean, you read that in history? There were actual kings who had that kind of power. You get to live and you don't. I mean, they, they did that. And so t- Paul is writing this to Timothy saying, he, God is the king, he, he gives life. This is who he is and he goes on and he says, uh, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, get this, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign. Paul is saying he's the only ruler, Timothy. He's the only ruler that matters. When it comes down to it, there may be other little rules, little kingdoms, little nations, but there's only one ruler. He's sovereign over all. Timothy, I mean, Paul closes this section out. He says, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, he's the one who alone has immortality, which is saying he's, no, he's never going to die. He's saying, Timothy, all these earthly kingdoms, they do succession. You know, there's, there's a king and he wants his son to be king and his son to be king. and his, That's how they keep it all in the family. But this king will never die. There's no end to, to his kingdom. And so Timothy, and Paul writes this, he says, who dwells in unapproachable light, this king does, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Eternal dominion. See, this is the king of kings. Now, an important question is, do you recognize him that way? And have you personally acknowledged him to be sovereign king of all? The one in whom glory and honor and dominion is always owed to him. Do you recognize Jesus that way? Because in Revelation chapter 17 through 19, the end of the story, there it says he's coming back. He's returning one day. And it's not going to be on no nasty little stinky donkey. It's going to be on a great white war horse. And he's coming in power. He came humbly this time. He entered the city of Jerusalem humbly this time. When he comes back, he's coming with creation power. The Bible says when he comes back again, he's bringing a new heaven. He's bringing a new earth. He's bringing all things new. He's going to make all, he's coming in power when he comes back. And you and I need to recognize that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. That's, that's who we're dealing with. Do you recognize him and do you acknowledge him that way? Now the truth is most of us would say, yes, I recognize him. I, Joe, I come here, you know, I've been coming here longer than you've been a part of this church. Some of you could say that. I, I come here to worship him. This is my church. He's, he's my king. I come to, to celebrate him. But this leads us to the third soul-searching question. And it's this, if you, if you recognize him, if you've acknowledged him as king, do you honor him as king? Do, do you honor him as king? See, we don't have, in America, we don't have much of a reference for, for a king. You know, over here, it's Burger King, you know. And, 
I don't personally think he's king of burgers. But anyway, that's about the only king we, you know, we, we think of over here. We, we don't have that reference. So, so I, I want us to consider just two. There, there are many more, but I just want to co- us to consider two ways. Two ways it looks like we, we honor the king. If he's really the king, how, how would we honor him? And the first way is we serve him. We serve him as king. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible, things you can see and invisible, things you can't see. Whether they're thrones or dominions or rule or authority. He said, I don't, everything on this earth, every, every government, every rule has, has been made by him. They're put in place by him. And then watch this. It says all things were created through him and what? Say it loud. Say it louder. For him. Everything was created for him. Your talents. Your gifting. Your intellect. All of those things have been given to you for him. Given to you by the king of kings, lord of lords, but for him. And honoring him begins by realizing these things are not mine. They are for him. I'm just simply a servant. I'm, I'm here to serve him. I'm here to be his slave. We hate that term. Historically in our world and especially in this nation, that word has such a, a, a horrible, uh, you know, d- d- denotation that way. Paul, all throughout Paul's writings in his letters, that's how he referred to himself. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That, that's how he would, he would tell people that's who he was. And not only that, Paul would go as far to say, I'm a servant of the people that Jesus died for. I'm a servant to my neighbor. I, I, I serve the people around me. So just a quick question. Do you, do you ever see yourself as a servant to the people with whom you live, work, and play? I mean, do you look in all your relationships, do you see yourself as this, this servant who's ministering to them so that they might actually get to see Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? You might get to say that because of the way you honor them to honor him. You know, it, it means that everything you have Every human relationship is for him, for, for his glory. And see, where you don't where you're not honoring him that way and not seeing this particular area of your life as being in service to him, what you're doing effectively is bumping him off. You're just bumping him off that throne. You're making yourself a, a, a little king here. You know, this is my kingdom. I'm gonna build it. I'm gonna use my intellect to amass my wealth to, do, to accomplish this. When you do that, wherever you do that in your life, you're rivaling You're creating a rival for Jesus in your soul. And it will kill you. It will destroy your soul. In the Old Testament, they called them idols. Here, they're rivals to the king. What rivals do you have in your life these days that rival against the king? You acknowledge him, you know him, you'll sing about him, but are you honoring him? Are, are you serving him? 
Second way that we can honor him as king is by submitting to him. Submitting to him as king. You know, we, we, we acknowledged earlier that we don't have a good reference for, for king in this country. You know, our closest reference might be something like the president. But no matter which side of the aisle you're on, when the other, other side is seated there, we're slamming him. We're not honoring, our culture doesn't honor the president. We have no clue what it means to, to honor the king. Maybe, maybe some of you, maybe, maybe you feel like your boss is king. You know, maybe they actually literally sign your paycheck. And so you, you think about them as king. They, they tell you what to do at work, you know. I, I was reading recently through Esther. It's a quick little read, beautiful story. And one of the things that my mind kind of got, you know, hit on again when I, this, this passed through Esther, is a lot of the stories about a king. Now he was a king that kind of was off the rails at times. His name was Xerxes. And uh, King Xerxes, was, he was like a party animal. And he threw this party and had all of his little captains and generals and, you know, other little appointees down there, his cronies. And he's having this wild party. And supposedly, he was married to the most beautiful woman in the land. And so he called her in to show her off to these party animals. And she basically sends back a message, I ain't coming to your drunken party. I'm not a commodity, dude. And you know, you know what he did? You ain't the queen no more. Gone. And she wasn't. Because he could just speak. And it would happen. And so she's out. And he starts looking for another queen. And uh, this lady come, named Esther becomes his queen. And Esther, on this journey, realizes that she has a divine appointment with God for a purpose that is not her own. And she has to humble herself and she submits herself to this king. She surrenders herself to him and she says, I want to honor you. I, I have something that I want to ask of you, but before I ask, I want to honor you. And so she throws a banquet, banquets for him and honors him publicly. And in, in the midst of that, she makes this request that saves her people. Because she knew that all the king had to do was he could just speak. And whatever he spoke would happen. That's a king. See, we, 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 don't, we don't understand that. We don't understand what it means to submit and to surrender. You know, we, we think about, for instance, go back to the boss image. We think about a boss. And they might write our check and they can tell us what to do, um, you know, while we're there from 9 to 5 or whatever your hours are. But when you go home, who's king? We think, oh, we're, we're king. Yeah, I'm, I'm king. I, I, can, I can do what I want to with my money now. I can do with my time what I want to. I, I'm king now. Because we misunderstand king. We, we, we don't get that anything that we're given, we have to submit to him. We're, 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 coming, up on, we're coming up on vacation season for lots of folks. Vacation season's coming. Just, just a question, just as a way of thinking about submitting to Jesus as king. Have you ever asked Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to do with your vacation? Jesus, where do you want me to go on your vacation? See, Jesus might have a spot picked out with a conversation that he's intending for you to have and that conversation may spin into a gospel conversation. Have you, have you asked, you know, we, we, we will spend, we'll spend a whole year planning our next vacation. You know, we, we'll research that puppy, we'll, we'll, we'll do all this kind of stuff. 
but did, anywhere in that spectrum did you ask, Jesus, where would you like me to spend my vacation? And it might be one of the reasons why so many of us show back up after vacation exhausted. You know, because we forgot that rest only comes in Christ. True rest. And so do we, do we, do we create our vacations in such a way that we honor him? That he's the king, king of our vacation. So that his purposes can be accomplished. He might have something ordained for you and I to do. There may be something there. Have you asked him about where to do that? J just show us. H have, you, have you decided how you're honoring him with other aspects of your life? With your paycheck? With, with your hobbies? God, I want to honor you in, in this hobby. See, that's what it means to come to understand what ultimate authority is like. You submit everything you have to him. That's when you know he's growing as king in your life. That's when you know you understand that he's king. Because if he's truly king of kings and truly Lord of lords, then you will want to serve him. And you will, you will find delight in submitting to him. And if not, then you're just giving him lip service. And you're not honoring him. Yeah, Jesus, you're the king. Yeah, I'm going to show up Sunday and I'm going to sing the king song. King is among us. Glory surrounds us. Maybe that's why revival's not breaking out. Maybe that's, maybe that's what's going on. See, he's, your, he's not your king unless you're serving him and submitting to him. So, Big question today for most of us in the house. Are you honoring him as king? Let's pray. Lord, when we stop and we give ourselves over to thinking deeply about it, God, we are, Jesus, we are so grateful that you are king of kings and lord of lords that there is no authority over you. We are thankful that there is no limit to your power. There's no geographical boundaries where your rule and reign is not coming. We, we come grateful that you are over all and that it's all been put here through you, by you, and for you. And so maybe this morning, Jesus, as we come as we come to think of you as our king, maybe there's some places that you want to bring change into our lives. Maybe there's a, a word that you want to speak into our souls. And we know that a word from a king changes everything because we want to honor you as king. So I, I just pray that you would help our souls chew up on this, Lord. Just take it in. Maybe starting with just the way we submit to authority in our lives. Maybe we need to rethink that. Maybe for us it begins asking the question, Jesus, where are we serving you? Where are we taking our times, our talents, and our treasures and, and serving you with it? Where are we serving your purposes above our own? Where are we serving in the church that we attend and participate in? Where, where are we serving in our community, our neighbors, so that, 
glory comes to you, Jesus, so that they might see you as King of kings and Lord of lords and, and experience your grace and mercy. Where are we submitting in our marriages? Where, where are we submitting to the biblical roles that you described as husbands loving our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church? Where are we submitting? Where Wives, respecting your husbands. Are you submitted here? Are we submitted in our giving, in, in recognizing that we, it really is better to live on 90% with the hand of God on it than 100% with only our hands on it? Are we submitting to God's plan for our resources? Are, are we submitted to parenting in such a way that the most important thing that we bring to our kids is Jesus and not sports and athletics or academics? They're important but not most. Are we submitted in our parenting to Jesus? Jesus, we come now. We truly want you to be king in our hearts because our hearts at times are wrecked by our own ruling. And so we come this morning giving back to you that which is yours, our hearts. And we step down from the throne and we submit and surrender to you. We bow before you now as our king. And we do it because of Calvary. Because you loved like nobody else has loved us. You gave like nobody else has given for us at Calvary. And we just come thanking you, God, for Calvary. So Jesus, we want you to be king Show us where we need to surrender all over again. We want to fall under your authority, your rule and reign. We want to declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Help us, God, we pray now, as we come again to Calvary and remember. Remember your grace and mercy poured out there. We come, Jesus. We want to make you king. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.